Let's give the Lord praise. Oh, hallelujah. Let's worship him. He's worthy to be praised. How many feel revival in the house? Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Go with me, if you will, to the book of John, chapter number 9. The book of John, chapter number 9. Tonight, amen, I'm excited. Bishop Wilson's going to be preaching, and I know it's going to be awesome. Amen. Wednesday night, Brother Riddell Seals will be here, 715, Wednesday night. Amen. Friday night at Blue Mountain, there is a Missions America service, our National Directors for the Missions America Department are going to be there. And on Saturday, there's church training and instruction. And I encourage all of our church workers to be at Blue Mountain, 9 o'clock Saturday morning. Next Sunday morning and Sunday night, everybody yell, Revival. Revival. Now yell it as loud as you can. Revival. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Brother Tim Green back here again. Going to have Holy Ghost Revival. Amen. And I'm expecting God to do great and wonderful things. Amen. Brother Stan, we're praying for you. Our brother Stan lost his grandmother this week, and we're praying for he and his family. Isn't it good to see Brother Joe and Brother Luke Ryder in church today? Amen. Amen. God, God brought Brother Luke through a battle with cancer, and he's cancer-free. Praise the Lord. Isn't that awesome? Praise God. I got a God that's able to deliver and heal. And he can do anything that he wants to. Hallelujah. Amen. March the 6th is Missions Commitment Service. That Sunday, March the 6th, we'll be renewing our commitments to world missions. Amen. If you have an offering for Beirut, I need to see you before you leave this morning. And so if you have an offering, please let me know about that just as soon as service is over. Amen. The book of John, chapter number 9. The book of John, chapter number 9. If you found it, say amen. amen. And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin? This man or his parents? that he was born blind. Jesus answered, neither this man sinned, neither hath this man sinned, nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle. And he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay and said unto him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation sent. He went his way, therefore, and washed and came seeing. Boy, isn't that an awesome sentence. 
He went his way, therefore, and washed. He went blind and came seeing. Wow. Jesus said in verse number three that this man didn't sin and neither did his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. Amen. Praise God. I'm going to preach with the help of God on the manifested works of God. Look at somebody and tell them, I want to see. Look at, tell them, I want to see the manifested works of God. Manifested where I want to see the manifested works of God. Lord, I'm asking you for just one thing, and that is for you to have your way here this morning. God, anything that I might try to put on your agenda, God, doesn't really matter. My expectations, God, if you'll just manifest your works, that's all that we need. Just have your way. And God, accomplish it by the power of your spirit in this place. Let the word find good ground and let it shake something up inside of us. Let it be mixed with faith. Faith comes by hearing. So God, I pray, anoint our ears to hear so that you can have your way. In Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. Give the Lord a good praise as you're being seated. God bless you. The Pool of Siloam was connected to some of the worst times in the history of the nation of Israel. King Hezekiah built the Pool of Siloam about 700 years before Christ. It was during one of the worst predicaments in the history of the nation Sennacherib and the mighty Assyrian army, the most powerful army in the world, had come with such a host of soldiers that they completely surrounded the city of Jerusalem, forbidding all to come in and go out. During this long siege, the water supply within the city's wells had begun to run low. The population estimated at that time of 20,000 men, women, and children, now desperately running low on water. King Hezekiah and his advisors came up with a plan. They commissioned a group of workers to tunnel under the city walls of Jerusalem and continue the tunnel going underground all the way to the Guyon Springs. That tunnel would connect under the ground and the water from the springs would then flow through the tunnel under the walls of the city and fill a place that became known as the Pool of Siloam. 
It was in this desperate moment, in this time of desperation against one of the mightiest armies the world had ever seen, that the pool of Siloam came into existence. Then the Gospel of Luke chapter 13 tells us of something, an event that was contemporary to the time of Christ. Apparently there was a tower being built at the pool of, of Siloam, some three meters in diameter. That tower, while being built, something went terribly wrong and the stones of that tower collapsed and in that moment, 18 workers died under the rubble of that fallen tower. So you can find this particular location in Jerusalem. You find it under terrible circumstances. From its very beginning, in one of the most bitter sieges in the history of the nation, to a contemporary tragedy that was fresh on the minds of all of the citizens of Jerusalem. The pool of Siloam was not a happy, fun, cheerful location. When we think of pools, we think of fun. I think of how expensive they are, but most people think about fun. But when you mention the pool of Siloam to the ancient Jerusalem citizen, their mind went to the terrible circumstances that caused it to be built. And then the recent tragedy of their neighbors, their brothers, their sisters, their family members, their countrymen being killed in a terrible accident. The common citizen of Jerusalem would have looked at the pool of Siloam as a very unlikely place for a miracle. John chapter 9 comes to us after a contentious debate that took place on the Sabbath day between Jesus and the Pharisees. You can find that back and forth debate very intense and very heated in the book of John chapter number 8. It ends with Jesus just finally getting enough of arguing back and forth with these stubborn people. And he just tells them in John 8 and 58, Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. That sounds like just a phrase to us. But when he said that to them, what he was saying is, I'm the God of Abraham. I am the I am of Abraham. And before Abraham was even born, I was already ruling the universe and I was already running the world and I was already God before Abraham. He said before Abraham was, I am. And they got so angry when he said, when he declared to be God. Let me just throw this out here. I know it's a Pentecostal candy stick, but it still needs to be preached. Jesus is more than a third person. He's more than a second person. He's more than a first person. 
He's the express image of the invisible God. He's all of God in him. Amen. I like Bishop Wilson. I love that old song. I love that old song. It's all in him. It's all in him, the fullness of the Godhead, and it's all in him. When you say Jesus, you're saying everything. When you call on Jesus, you get everything that God is, was, or ever will be. You get it all. When you say Jesus, you get the Lord, the Master, the Savior, the Healer, the Deliverer. When you say Jesus, you've said it all. And when Jesus said, I am, Man, you talk about making people mad. Oh, my goodness. It was, it was worse than fighting over what favorite sport team you had. When he said, before Abraham was, I am, it made those Pharisees so angry that in verse number 59 of John 8, look what it said. They took up stones to cast at him. We're going to kill him. If he's going to claim to be God, if he's going to claim to be the master, if he's going to claim to be the Messiah, we're just going to kill him right now. We're going to take up stones and we're going to kill him. We're going to stone him right now. Man, you talk about, you talk about, there's nobody can get as mad as a mad religious person. A mad religious person will try to stone Jesus, blow up buildings, strap bombs on their kids and send them out to kill somebody else. Mad religious people are capable of all kinds of stuff. Amen. And when they got so, they took up stones to cast at him. But here's, look what the Bible said. But Jesus hid himself. Amen. Now, now there's no direct, this, this doesn't directly say that it's a miracle. It doesn't directly say that he made himself invisible. But, but somehow, He's right there walking through the midst of these angry people with stones in their hand, and they can't see him. He hid himself and went out of the temple. He didn't, he didn't, slide, he didn't slide out a back door. He didn't crawl under tables to get out. He just walked, the Bible said, he walked going through the midst of them. He walked right by them, and they couldn't see him. Amen. And so he, and the Bible said, and so passed by. Now, you've got to get your mind around the situations because one of the problems when we, we read the Bible, we just read words and we're always, instead of really thinking about what we're looking at and what we're reading now, we're already moving on to the next thing. You know, we read the Bible. I got to read a chapter of the Bible today. I got to stay on my reading plan. I got to read. And so we have this, we, we're, we're trying to check off boxes of how many verses we read. And so instead of really reading for what it's saying, what we're doing is we're just trying to get to the next verse so that we can check our plan off and say, well, I read my Bible today. But think about what's happening here. You have these people that are so angry. Have you ever really seen somebody so mad that they wanted to kill someone? And they got the, the weapon in their hand to do it. And man, they are so mad. And the next thing they know, they can't see him. And they're looking for him. And you better not look like Jesus or you're in trouble. And, and they're looking for him and they are so angry. Their face is red. The veins are bulging out. They're, they're, they're gripping that rock so hard their knuckles are turning white. They are so ready to kill and Jesus is, is, is passing through. you got to understand the situation. He is invisible, but his disciples are not. 
and they, and he's walking through, and 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 they're like, man, if they know we're with him, we're in trouble. There is a high level of tension in this situation. Okay, there is a high level of tension at this moment. Praise God. And so you have Jesus passing by them. And the disciples are like, is this the end of the line for us? And chapter 8 ends with this phrase, and so passed by. And then chapter 9 begins just like chapter 8 ends. And as Jesus passed by. Man, what? Now, you, you got to... I know I'm, I'm driving this, I'm driving this a little home, uh, just a, but but you got to imagine what it was like. I mean, this crowd is ready to lynch Jesus. They've got the stones in their hands. They're just waiting for some place to throw him. That's all they want is to kill him. And he's the Bible said that that he passed by, and then chapter nine says, and as Jesus passed by, he saw. A man which was blind from his birth. Now, I've been in a few tense situations. I don't talk about them very often, some of them. But I've been in a few tense situations where I'm like, all it's going to take is just one little spark for this thing and it's going to go poof. And I got caught up in a... In a in a demonstration in London. I was just walking around. I had no idea they were having a demonstration. I'm just walking around London, minding my own business, not the least bit concerned about what they had going on. I'm just looking at all this old stuff, and I just hear this drum beat, and I keep, and I, and I, it just kind of resonates in the back of my mind. I, start, I find myself sort of walking with the beat of that drum. I don't know. And then I turn a corner, and I look up, and coming right at me is a demonstration a million people, they estimated, were there to protest some atomic something. And they're just beating the drum, and here they come, and I'm just standing there. And I get, I walk over to the side, and I see a pile of signs. So I, I don't want to get, I mean, I'm not against them. I just pick up one of their signs, I just walk with them. <laughs> You're not going to get me. I don't know what I'm demonstrating for, but I'm not dying today. I just carried the sign. Then once, you know, after a while, I just went down a side street, dropped the sign, and went about my business. I had no plans of being a war demonstrator that day. But I knew one thing, that I didn't want to get caught up in this situation because you get that many people and, they're, and, 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 it's that, and it gets tense. I don't want to be in the middle of that. So I just go along and get out of there just as, as, as smooth as I can. So if you, if you ever, if you, anybody ever tells you I was a war protester in England, don't, I was. I just don't know what war. But the tension in this situation, I mean, you've got a mob of people ready to murder Jesus. And he's, get, I got to get out of here. I got these 12 guys that are with me. And they're in danger here. And we're getting out of here. And as he's going by, he sees this blind man. And if there's ever been a moment 
in the 33 years of the life of Jesus Christ where he would get a pass for walking by somebody that had a need. It would have been that moment where he could have had an excuse, I'll get back to you later, Mr. Blind Man. I'll catch you when they don't have their hands full of rocks ready to kill me. I'll get back to you when me and my disciples aren't in danger of being killed right here in the streets of Jerusalem. You hold on to that for a while and I'll be back. But no, Jesus didn't do that. Jesus stopped in the middle of that situation and he noticed the blind man. You would think that he had more pressing matters to handle at that moment. You would think there was something more important than just a poor blind beggar sitting by to the side of the road. But when Jesus notices the need, Jesus stops what he's doing and he takes the moment to address this man that everybody else walked by and overlooked and didn't have time for. But at that moment, the mob just had to wait. And at that moment, the stress just had to wait because somebody needed Jesus. Can I tell you today that maybe you've come here with all kinds of circumstances in your life and situations, and perhaps you're tempted to think that there's way too much going on in the world for Jesus to have time to mess with you and your problem, that there's a, you know, there's, there's war getting ready to break out in Ukraine, and, and God only knows how many people may die, and, and all the, the, the stuff going on, demonstrations of hundreds of thousands in Australia and, and Canada and all over Europe and all, and the world is a tinderbox just waiting for a spark to go off, but but in the middle of all of this, I'm going to tell you, God has plenty of time to stop and pause and minister to your need today. There's nobody that's so insignificant that Jesus is not willing to take the time to minister to your life. You may feel like nobody else notices, but he notices. You may feel like nobody else cares but he cares. You may feel like nobody else has time, but he's got time for you today. I think somebody ought to praise him. When Jesus passes by, there's always hope for a miracle. When he passes by, the supernatural is always possible when Jesus stops by. Every time we come to church, we should be in one of two modes. We should be in the mode of trying to get the presence of God here or responding to him when he is here. And there should be nothing else. Every time we walk through these doors, it ought to be God, send your presence in this place. Because if you'll pass by, the blind can be healed. And if you'll pass by, the addict can be delivered. And if you'll pass by, the depressed can be lifted up. And if you'll pass by, peace can come to somebody's spirit. And if you'll pass by, cancer can be healed. And if you'll pass by, people can be delivered. If you'll pass by, everything is possible when you pass by. But I'm going to tell you, if we're not in the mode of Jesus passing by, then we ought to be in the mode that he's already here and it's time to worship him. We should never just say, well, I guess God doesn't want to show up today. Maybe next Sunday he'll show up. Maybe tonight will be better. There's never no, we don't know if there's a tonight. We don't know if there's a next week. So we need to take advantage of the moment right now and say, pass by me, Lord. 
pass by God. I want your presence to move because when your presence moves, all things are possible. And so look at verse number two. Look at verse number two. I'm doing an exposition of this passage for a little bit this morning. John 9 and 2, and his disciples, everybody say disciples. The disciples, the 12, the chosen ones, the apostles, the cream of the crop, the smart guys, the ones that of all the people in Israel, he chose these 12, the disciples. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin? This man or his parents that he was born blind? I make my nomination right now for question of the year. Think about that question for a moment. All right? Y'all awake today? Are you okay? Man, I've been here since about 2.50 this morning. And I don't get to stop until 11 o'clock Tuesday morning. So you're not going to be any more wore out than I am, folks. Think about the question. The disciples. All right? Peter, James, and John, all the smart guys. Lord, Master, who sinned? Who's the reason this man's born blind? Him or his parents? Does anybody hear a little alarm going off in your head? Saying the man was born blind. How could his own sin make him be born blind? Is it starting to sink in? You starting to understand the foolishness of this question? Lord, did he kick his mom too hard when he was inside? Is that what he did? Did he pinch the inside of her womb because he got mad one day? What could he have possibly done in the womb to make God so mad at him that he let him be born blind? It's one of the most foolish questions asked in the history of the universe. Not, no, not this, this wasn't asked by the little kid in the park. This was the disciples. Let me tell you something. That don't ever let the people that seem so religious that they have all the answers keep you from getting your miracle. this man of sin in the womb. Here he was, born blind. No control over it. Couldn't have done anything to stop it. And here he is, listening to the disciples of Jesus, accusing him of prenatal sin. Listen, this world is full of accusers and haters. And sometimes they're even disciples. Christians. 
so-called anointed people, people who God uses that sometimes can be the source of hurt. But you've got to make up in your mind, I'm never going to let anybody get between me and my miracle. They may talk about me. They may accuse me. They may criticize me. They may say whatever they want about me. But I refuse to let somebody keep me from my miracle. I refuse to let somebody stop me from my breakthrough. Listen, at some point in your life, somebody's going to talk about you. At some point, somebody's not going to like you. At some point, somebody's going to accuse you of stuff that maybe you did or didn't do. But you got to make up in your mind, I'm not going to let one of those people keep me from worshiping the Lord. I made up my mind. I'm living for God. I'm preaching to somebody right now. You got to get your mind off what other people think about you. You can't serve God based on what somebody else thinks about you. You can't let anybody stop you from understanding Jesus is the focus, not them. I wish somebody would just praise the Lord right now. I'm not sure who all I'm preaching to. I'm not so sure I'm not preaching to anybody but just me. But sometimes you got to just let other people say what they're going to say, and you got to do what you're going to do. You got to rise above the critics, folks. You got to rise above the critics. Look, you can't let it bother you that other denominations don't believe in the Holy Ghost. That's their issue. That's their problem. They don't have to get it, but I know I got it, and I'm not going to let them talk me out of what God gave me. I know what he did for me when I was baptized in his name and filled with the Spirit. They don't have to know it, but I know it. Okay, I'm going. Verse number three, John 9 and 3, Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. Amen. Sister Sister Marshall spoke on this last week. I'm not going to go. She she did better than I am, so I'm going to let her stand on its own. Jesus said it wasn't the sin of his parents or him. He didn't do some prenatal abomination that caused him to be blind. And it wasn't his parents' fault. There's a purpose in what's going on in his life. What he's going through is not a waste. What he's going through is not just suffering for suffering's sake. In the end of it all, Something good is going to come out of the situation. I bet as a boy, when the other kids were playing and he heard them in the street, he probably thought, Lord, I sure wish that I could be out there playing like they are, but I can't see. And when he heard somebody describe a beautiful sunset, he probably wished, I wish I could see that sunset but I, but I can't see. I don't know. When somebody said what red was, he had no way of understanding what red was any different from blue, black, green, or yellow. There was no way. When somebody talked about how pretty the trees are, he had no frame of reference to understand it. And I bet he thought, man, I wish, uh, I wish I could see. I wish I knew what they were talking about. I wish I could see what, I mean, he had no reference at all. He had no understanding at all. 
But Jesus said that this is not just to punish some little kid so he would grow up and be blind. This was, a, But there's something that's working in the midst of this situation. And when it's all said and done, the other kids that were able to see the sunset, all they could ever say is, I saw a sunset. But the blind man said, I was blind. But now I see. I don't know why I had to go through it, but I know one thing, that God turned it around for his glory. Let me tell you, when you go through things in life, you can either blame God or you can say, God, I want you just to use it for your glory. Whatever you're trying to do in my life, just do it. I'm with you. It was so the works of God could be manifest. Amen. The word manifest. God, I'm trying my best, Lord. You know, you know I'm trying my best right now, God. Lord, the, the word manifest here, it means to make apparent, to show or declare, to make visible or known what has been hidden or unknown, whether by words or deeds or in any other way, to make it actual and visible and plainly recognized. Hallelujah. He said the reason that he's dealing with this situation is because God wants to make his works actual and visible and plainly recognized. We've heard about what God did in Egypt, and we heard about what God did in the desert, and we heard about what God did at the Red Sea, and we heard about what he did at the Jordan River, and we heard what he did with Goliath, and the lions, and we heard what he did with Samuel and Solomon, and we heard what he did with Samson, and we heard all of that, but it just as a story that I heard, but God said, what I want is for the people to see that what I did back then, I can still do, and I'm going to make it actual, I'm going to make it visible, I'm going to make it plainly recognized. Praise God. What you've been asking for, you're going to actually see it with your own two eyes. It's not going to be a story of a mission way off in Africa somewhere. It's not going to be a story of what happened 75 years ago or 100 years ago. But it's going to be something that you see with your own eyes. God wants to make it actual. He said, I want my works to be manifest. Can I tell you what I'm really trying to preach? That all the stuff we talk about and all the stuff we hear about, God wants it to be more than a story. He wants it to happen right here in this church, uh, in your family, in your life, in your children. Uh, the things that we've talked about for generations, God says, I want my works to be manifested. Does anybody believe that? And sometimes you have to have some conflict. Sometimes you have to have some disappointment. Sometimes there's got to be a little blindness in your life so you can see the hand of God when he turns it all around. I'm preaching to somebody that you've been going through some stuff. You've been dealing with some stuff. And maybe it's gone on for years. This baby was born blind. And now he's a full-grown man. And he's dealt with it for all that time. But in a moment, God turned it all around. 
Maybe you've been dealing with something for years and years and years and you've wondered, God, do you even think about me anymore? Let me tell you, he wants to make his works manifested. just feel the conflict going on in my mind right now. Hallelujah. Let me move on just for a minute here. The problem that the man had was really part of the mission because it was this miracle that got some people to really believe this is the Messiah. He's doing something because nowhere in the Old Testament were blind eyes ever opened. Lame people walked. Miracles happened. Bread fell out of heaven. But never were blind eyes opened. And when Jesus opened the eyes of the blind, it fulfilled prophecy that Messiah had come. The miracle was not for the man. The miracle was for the mission. God didn't heal the man for the man's sake. God healed the man for the mission's sake. So that people would know that Messiah has come. God's miracles aren't for my entertainment. His miracles aren't for me to get what I want. If he works a miracle for me, it's to prove to somebody out there that he's still a miracle worker and he's still a deliverer. If God saves anybody in this place from drugs and alcohol, it's not just for you. It's to let people out there know that he's a deliverer from drugs and alcohol. If he picks you up out of depression, it's not just for you. It's so everybody out there that feels like they've got no reason to hope can know that his works are made men. Let me tell you, I want to see miracles in this church, but not for us, for them. I'm going to praise him if he never works a miracle. I'm going to worship him if he never heals again. But if he does, it's for people out there. It's a mission. It's about the mission. Everybody look at somebody tell them it's about the mission. Can I preach a few more minutes to you? Oh, it's miracle time. But miracles don't always come how you think they ought to or how you wish they would. John 9 and 6, when he had thus spoken, can you imagine what the heart of that blind man must have felt like when he heard Jesus say that the works of God would be manifest in him? His hope had to say, I mean, he, for the first time, he had to think, I've really got a chance to see. And the next thing he knows, he hears somebody spit. I don't know what spitting looks like, but I know what it sounds like. (laughs) And the next thing he knows, he feels the warm breath of Jesus right up close to him. And then he feels the smearing of clay over his eyes. 
That is not at all what I thought a miracle would feel like. I expected something different. I thought I'd hear angels. I, I, I thought I'd feel goosebumps or butterflies or electricity or something. I didn't know that it was going to feel like mud on my face. It, 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 that's, that's, not, God, that, that's really not what I thought you were going to do. Would you please give me the miracle the way I want it instead of the way you want it? You can have it your way, but you may not be able to have a miracle your way. Amen. So, well, I, we, had a, we had a brother, he, he taught us, he was one of my early Sunday school teachers, Bishop. And when he came to the church, he was so shy and people worshiping and, and all that would just, it just, he was like, I just can't, I can't do it. His name was Lee Kirby. And he was like, I, I, just, I just can't do it. And people would get the Holy Ghost and they'd shout and he'd say, I just, I, just, I can't do it. I'm, that's not the way I am. That's just, I, I can't do it that way. And so he went, he went, I think it was years. His wife got the Holy Ghost. All the people went to church with him, got the Holy Ghost, and he never did because he wanted it his way. God, give me the Holy Ghost, but on my terms. Give me a miracle, but let it happen the way I want it to happen. Man, when that dude finally got the Holy Ghost, he didn't care who he shouted in front of. He didn't care what they thought about him. He, did, he shouted all over the front of that church. He went, I mean, he was like he was out of his mind, and he got enough Holy Ghost that he's still living for God today. Let me tell you, you may come here today and say, God, I need something, but I want you to do it my way. You might have to shake some of you out of the way because he might just want to spit in your eye a little bit. It may not come the way you want it to come. But do you want it bad enough to say, God, if I got to shed all by myself, that's what I'll do because I need my breakthrough. Huh. My Lord, God help me. Listen to what the Bible said. When he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle. The Bible didn't say he made mud. It said he made clay. You know why it said he made clay? Anybody want me to tell you? Because the Pharisees had invented a rule that you weren't allowed to make clay on the Sabbath day. For what earthly purpose would that matter to anybody? And Jesus said, if you're going to make dumb rules, then I'm going to break your dumb rules. And so in John 9, 14, listen to what it said. It was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the clay. Uh-oh. And opened his eyes. Now, now, you get that? He made the clay. And? Come on, everybody. If you don't, it's going to take a lot longer if you don't help. He made the clay and? What's the key part of that, of that sentence? Opened his eyes. Anybody can make clay. Not anybody can open blind eyes. The Pharisees were so concerned with their silly little rule that they completely lost the fact that this blind man is standing here able to see. 
Then again, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He said, he put clay on my eyes and I washed in do see. And therefore said some of the Pharisees, this man's not of God. He's a clay maker. He's a Sabbath clay maker. He's not of God. Ignore the blind eyes. Just ignore the blind eyes. He's a clay maker. Not a hay maker. A clay maker. And because he's a clay maker, he can't be of God. You talk about people that were so died in their tradition that they had a move of God right in front of them. The same God that opened those blinded eyes could have turned their life around. But they were so stuck in their tradition that they couldn't break loose. Let me tell you, the same God that made him shout and him shout and set him free and touched her with the Holy Ghost is here right now and can do it for you. But you got to get out of your tradition. You might have to shake a little bit of your dryness off and get a little shout in your step right now. It might not hurt you to say amen. You got to press yourself. Oh, God. Lord Jesus. All right. So here, they miss it. Look, notice what notice what he said. Can we can we go back to verse six? Somebody somebody's got a message. You got to an, answer or put it on silent. You got two choices here. Because I got a message too, and I'm not going silent for a minute. John nine and six. When he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground, made clay of the spittle, and what's the next three words? Anointing. That word anointed was only used in the Bible under two circumstances. When they were applying oil for the blessing of God on something, anointing it, sanctifying it, setting it apart. It was only used of oil being applied to somebody or it was used of the Spirit of God touching somebody. Only two ways, except for this one, where he said, the mud, he took the clay and he anointed him with it. He anointed him with clay. Not oil. Clay. You got to be careful because sometimes anointing doesn't always come how you think it will. Praise the Lord. God, if you'll send my favorite preacher or they'll sing my favorite song or, you'll, or if the preacher will come to me and say so-and-so. God, if, if, if they'll call my name while they're preaching, then I'll know you're talking to me. You can say all the ways you want the anointing to come, but you better just let God put it on you however it is. If it takes you lifting your hands and screaming, then lift your hands and scream. If it takes you running the aisles, then run the aisles. If you got to fall on the altar, but whatever you take, God, I'll take your anointing no matter how you want to send it. I'm not too proud for you to send an anointing in a way that I didn't expect it to happen. Oh, I wonder what if God would touch you right now. What if you hadn't shouted in 20 years and God would touch you with an anointing to shout? Would you lose your anointing or would you let it come on you? 
I'm talking about the works of God. If we're really going to see the miraculous, we got to shake out of our dull, dead dryness and say, God, I need you to do your works. I need the works of God manifested in my life. I need your works manifested in my family. I've tried it my own way. I've tried it how I always did it. And God, now I need your works manifested. Jesus. All right, I'm going, 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 going. My Lord, I didn't realize I'd preach this long. Three critical elements to this miracle. Number one, Jesus put the spit on his face. The, the, the clay on his face. He broke out of the tradition. Number two, he told the man, go wash in the pool of Siloam. Somebody spits on my face. There's a decent chance I'm not going to do what they say. I don't know why the man did it. So let's think about the request. Y'all okay for a minute? Think about the request. He puts, he takes a man that's blind. And just in case he could see a little bit, I'm going to cover his eyes with mud. So there's no way he can see anything. And then I'm going to send him on a walk across town. And say, go wash in the pool of Siloam. How in the world is a blind man with clay covering his eyes going to find the pool of Siloam? I mean, it just, just turn him loose. Sister June, you've been in that old city. How long you reckon it would have taken him to find it by accident blind? By the time he tripped and fell? and bumped into people and bumped into buildings and thought he was turning down a, down a side street only to turn into somebody's wall? How in the world is he gonna find the pool of Siloam? Huh? How you reckon he's gonna find it? It's gonna be by accident or he's not gonna find it all unless somebody's willing to help him. The Bible never mentions a name. The Bible never talks about them. The Bible never says how many, who they were, how long they'd known him, or where they came from. It doesn't say anything about him. All it says is this man found the pool, but what it doesn't say is somebody was willing to help a man with the need find his miracle. Let me tell you what you do when you worship, even when you don't need a miracle. You're helping somebody else find their miracle. Let me tell you what you do when you pray. Even when you really don't have much to pray about, you're helping somebody else find their miracle. When you come to church and you don't really have some great need, but you come anyway, you're helping somebody else find their miracle. God, make this church full of people willing to help somebody else get what they need from God. Everybody in this place ought to contact somebody this week and say, come to Bethlehem next week. We're having revival. Come on, you hear what I'm saying? Uh, you hear what I'm saying? Everybody in this place ought to contact somebody this week and say, come to Bethlehem next Sunday. Not one of you ought to come by yourself next week. You got to help somebody. You got to help somebody get there. Come on, 
Hey, if I was preaching a, if I was preaching your miracle, you'd be shouting right now. But now I'm preaching responsibility, and it's time we get that in us. Amen. All right, stand with me. And so he sends them. He could have sent him. Peyton, he could have sent him anywhere. He could have sent him anywhere. But he sent him to the Pool of Siloam, a place associated with grief. The past, all the way back to the Assyrians, the past is riddled with negativity. But I'm going to give this place a chance for a brand new beginning. And he said unto him, go wash in the pool of Siloam. And he went his way, therefore, and washed and came seeing. I've debated, I've debated all morning if I should tell what I think I'm getting ready to tell you. I spoke to the difference makers this morning. I told them, and I said, I don't know. I, they, they all could tell I was uptight. I, I come over here to something, this three, I don't know what time it was. I woke up before three. I don't know what time I got here. I forgot my watch. I forgot my glasses. I had to make every, everything I pulled up on my computer, I had to make it super big so I could see it. Rattled because I, I had this dream this morning and I could not get that dream out of my mind. And probably Bishop Wilson, maybe, maybe five times in my whole life have I ever felt like God spoke to me through a dream. Maybe five times, at the most. I, I don't even know if it's that many. I doubt it is. And so in my dream, we were in in the church and brother green who's preaching for us next week was in the church and people started coming in and people just started coming in and people from all walks of life just started coming in and the place started filling up and they were and they pushed them in on hospital beds and they brought them in with wheelchairs and walkers and people from just coming and packing this place some of your family members who have been away from god walked through the doors of that church with smiles on their face that I haven't seen on their faces in years and years and years. Like brand new people just filing into the house of God and they kept on coming and they kept on coming and they kept on coming. And, and, and while I'm standing there and I'm watching the place just completely filled to overflowing, packed out with people and I, I look out the windows. Of course, I could see out the windows in my dream because it was a dream. And, and, and I see people on the parking lot still trying to get in, and they're still coming, and they're coming in. And I'm like, I don't know where we're going to put everybody. And I hear Brother Green yell across the building, and he's yelling, you gotta, you got to get in the new building. you got to get in the new building. you got to get in the new building. They're still coming. And they were coming from everywhere, and they were coming from everywhere. And it was just filling the building up. And church was about to start. And Brother Ethan, this is no reflection on you at all. I couldn't find a musician or a singer to save my life. And even in my dream, I knew better than for me to sing. I was dreaming. I hadn't lost my mind. And I'm, and, and I'm, and I'm like, We're, we got all these people here. We got all these miracles waiting to happen. All these people are, and they're just coming in. And we're not ready for them. We're, we, we're, they're, they're, they just keep coming, and we're not ready. And we, we ought to be ready right now. 
and, and, and the, the, the message to me was God's getting ready to send people, but we're not ready for it yet. We're not really hungry for the kind of revival God wants us to have. Amen. We're not really quite ready for it. But when we get ready, you better watch out because they're coming in. And some of your people are waiting on us to be ready. We ought to pray like we've never prayed. We ought to worship like we've never worshiped. I want to see the works of God manifested. God, I don't want to just hear about it. I want to see it. I don't want to just dream about it. I want to see it with my eyes, God. I want to see it. I want to see it. I want to see it. Can you raise your hands all over this? God, whatever I got to do to get ready. God, whatever we got to do, whatever we got to do to see our babies delivered and set free, whatever we got to do to see our sons and daughters come back, whatever we got to do to see our community set free, God, I got to be ready. I got to get ready. I got to see the works of God manifested. shaken up around here. The Holy Ghost has taken us on a journey. He's sending them from the north, the south, the east, and the west. From every background, from every economic background, from every end of the spectrum. He's sending people from the, from the inner cities to the rural communities, from the high income to the low income from the people that look like they have it all together to the people that don't have anything together. And they're coming in. And when they come in, my God, let Bethlehem be ready to see the works of God manifested. Help us to be ready, God, to see your hand at work. God, if you gotta put clay on our eyes to get us where we need to be, then God, do it. God, if you gotta anoint me in a way that I've never been anointed before, then do it. God, whatever you gotta do, I'm hungry for it. I'm hungry for it. I'm hungry. I want to see the, the works of God manifested. Yes, Oh, God. I'm telling you, there's some keys to revival in this building right now that if you'll shake your praise up and you'll shake your prayer life up and you'll shake your involvement up, you may, be, you may be the mud on our eye that we need today to go to another level, but you got to stir it up. I want to see the works of God manifested here. All over this place, lift your hands. All over this house, why don't you say, God, whatever I got to do to be ready. Whatever I got to do to be ready, God, I got to go to another level. I got to go to another level. God, whatever in me has to make me ready for that person that's going to be sitting next to me or behind me or in front of me or standing next to me in the altar, whatever has to happen to make me ready for that, then God, I want to see your works manifested in my life. Oh, yes, Lord. Oh, come on. Can you pray it for yourself right now? Hallelujah. Make me ready, God. 
Let's not think of it as a church. Let's not think of it across the spectrum. Let's think about it personal. God, what do I have to do for me to be ready to see your works manifested? And whatever that is, then let's just get busy and do it. Reach over and lay your hand on somebody close to you and pray one for another. Brother Patton, I want to say something to you, Brother Patton. I want to say thank you because you've consistently encouraged me that we were on the step, on the, on the doorstep of the greatest revival. And you always push me and you always tell me. And I appreciate that. I believe it. Woo, I feel it right now. Woo, glory. Bishop Wilson, I want to see your dreams come true. I want you to see your dreams come true. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Hey. Woo, I feel something about to break right now. God, let your works be manifested in Bethlehem. Let diseases be healed. Let cancers be healed. Let depression be de delivered. God, let anxiety be, be overcome. God, let joy come to somebody. Let the bands of addiction be broken. In the name of Jesus. Come on, speak it out. I want you to break a little bit out of your comfort zone right now. I want you to go just a little bit beyond what the box you put yourself in. And I want you to be bold enough to declare something in the Holy Ghost. Speak it out. Maybe you think your parents would never want what we got. You might ought to just say, God, I claim them in Jesus' name. Maybe your child said, I'll never go back. Well, I claim I'm coming back in Jesus' name. God, I want your works to be manifested here. Hallelujah. Go ahead, just for a few more moments. Why don't you just let the Holy Ghost pray through you? Why don't you just yield yourself to the presence of the Lord? Why don't you just yield yourself to the glory of God? God, however you want to use me, let your glory, let your work be manifested in me. put clay on my eyes and I got to walk 
for my own miracle, then God, that's what I'll do. If I got to take somebody by the hand and guide them to their deliverance, then God, that's what I'll do. I'm going to see a miracle. I'm going to see a miracle. I'm going to see it in Jesus' name. you link up with somebody and pray one for another. I know we've done it. I asked you to pray one, but I, I want you to really link up and begin to pray. And I want you to speak the blessings of God over the people you're praying with. I want you to declare the goodness of God in their life. I want you to declare the goodness of God on their families. People use their mouths to say all kinds of stuff to people. We're going to use ours to speak the blessings of the Lord. In Jesus' name. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. I want to see the works of God manifested. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 If somebody spoke a blessing over you, I want you to begin to thank God for it. I want you to claim it as your promise, as your miracle. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I think God's people ought to live with expectation of good things.
I want you to take a moment. I want you to clap your hands to God with expectation as your way of saying, God, I believe it. I believe I'm going to see a miracle. I believe we're breaking into another level of revival. I believe my life is stepping into another dispensation of the power of God. This is a doorway for me, and I'm stepping out of the ordinary and into the extraordinary, out of the average, and into the supernatural. I'm stepping out of discouragement into hope and faith and power and glory and the works of God manifested. If you believe it, lift your voice and shout with the voice of triumph. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Very quickly, very quickly, I would like for, for the Tucker family to make their way to the front while they're coming. Amen. I like Brother Jimmy. I, I just got a note that, that uh, Bit passed away, and my prayers are with you and your family at the loss of your brother. I'm so sorry, and we're certainly going to hold this family, the Stanton family up in our prayers. Amen. I have a very special privilege today, and that is to dedicate William Brandon Tucker and Sarah Isabella Tucker, Brandon and Izzy. Normally, we, we dedicate babies, but these children didn't come to us when they were babies. And we have been so blessed over the last year or so to have Brandon and Izzy as part of our church family. I love these kids. Aren't they awesome? Amen. Brandon's got one of the most powerful birthdays in the history of the world. What's your birthday? August the 11th. Who else was born on that day? That's right. Brandon has been wanting to be dedicated for weeks and weeks and weeks. And I'm excited to do it. I want to read a passage of scripture and I'm reading this passage because the church that Sister Lorena grew up in, the bishop, Brother Martin at every baby dedication I said baby dedication would read this passage from the book of Psalms chapter 84 how amiable are thy tabernacles O Lord of hosts my soul longeth, yea even fainteth for the courts of the Lord my heart and my flesh cry out for the living God, yea the sparrow hath found an house and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young. Even thine altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are they that dwell in thy house. They will be still praising thee. Blessed is the man whose strength is in thee and whose heart 
are the ways of them who passing through the valley of Baca make it a well. The rain also filleth the pools. They go from strength to strength. Every one of them in Zion appeareth before God. O Lord, God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold, O God, our shield, and look upon the face of thine anointed. For a day in thy courts is better than a thousand. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man that trusteth in thee. One of the greatest references in the Bible to the Holy Ghost, in my opinion, is found in Romans chapter number 8 and verse 15. Where the Bible says, For they have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Holy Ghost is called the spirit of adoption. A few weeks ago, many of us were able to join with the Tucker family and Brandon and Izzy at the courthouse in Union County as Brandon and Izzy were officially adopted into the Tucker family. I said officially because they had been adopted long before that in spirit. And today we're doing something for them that they were not afforded the opportunity to have done when they were babies. We're going to dedicate them to the Lord. In God's word, we hear that Abram became Abraham, Sarai became Sarah, Jacob became Israel, Peter became Simon, and Saul became Paul, and Brandon and Izzy became Tuckers, and they also became Bethlehemites. And today, as children of a Christian home, we're dedicating them to the Lord. And so, Brother Tim and Sister Lorena, I bet after Ethan, you never thought you'd be doing this again. Do you today recognize that these children are gifts from God and give heartfelt thanks for God's blessing? Do you now dedicate your children to the Lord who gave them to you, surrendering all worldly claims upon their lives in the hope that they will belong wholly to God? Do you pledge as parents that with God's help you'll bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord, making every reasonable effort with love to build the Word of God and the character of Christ and the joy of the Lord into their lives? Do you promise to provide through God's blessing for the physical, emotional, intellectual, and spiritual needs of your children, looking to your own Heavenly Father, for the wisdom, love, and strength to do so. Do you promise God helping you to make it your regular prayer that by God's grace, your children will serve the Lord and receive the fulfillment of his promises, eternal life, including eternal life? And do you promise to always raise these children in the truth of God's holy word, putting the Lord first in all matters? And the most important, do you promise to live an example of faithfulness, holiness, and virtue before these children in such a way that your words and actions do not conflict? 
All right, I thought about how I was going to hold these two. <laughs> and to be honest with you, I'm not going to. <laughs> but I'm going to ask them to come sit by me if they will. And Bishop, I'm going to ask you to come and pray. Brother Tim, Sister Rena, come on over here. And whoever else wants to. Amen. Isn't this awesome? Isn't this awesome? Amen. Let us all pray. Most gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for this fine young child, this boy and this girl. Thank you for these wonderful parents that love them and adopted them and bring them into their home. God, I ask you to give these children grace and strength and power and a will and a love to serve you. Help them, Lord, one day to be the vessel you want them to be. Touch this mother and dad. Give them grace. Give them wisdom. Give them direction to help them to lead these children in the right paths. Bless the rest of this family. Help us all to be the examples we need to be. Let the church be what it needs to be for this boy and this girl, that they would follow you in fullness and grace. Give them good health and strength. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Brandon, jump up there and grab my phone off of there. I said, girl, you look sleepy. She said, oh, it's really hot. Now you can be dismissed in Jesus' name.